and we'll begin reading from verse 1. Micah chapter 4, verse 1, it says, But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the, uh, mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow onto it. Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for the Lord shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among many people, and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their <coughs> spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the, of the Lord of hosts hath spoken it. For all people will walk, every one in the name of his God, will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Let's open with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Dear Lord and Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the opportunity we are uh, that we have to be here and to gather in this place and spend time around your word. I pray, Lord, that you bless uh, this afternoon's service. You help us to... Yeah, awake and alert, and Lord, I pray that you would teach us through your word this afternoon, instruct us, but you'd use me uh, to your honor and glory, that you empower me through the Spirit. And I pray that everything I say this afternoon would be your words and your thoughts, and that, Lord, you would be honored, uh, you'd be glorified and praised, I pray. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, if you remember in Micah chapter 3, we saw that Micah there rebukes uh, the leaders in Israel. He lead, uh, rebukes them for their poor leadership. He holds them accountable for the state of the nation. You know, they had uh, failed to lead the people in righteousness. They'd failed to lead the people in a, a godly way. And instead, they led them in sin. They led them in wickedness. And he ends chapter 3 with a stern warning of the punishment that is coming because of this sin. It says in verse 12 of chapter 3, Therefore shall Zion for your sake be ploughed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountain of the house as the high places of the forest. Micah describes in verse 12 how Jerusalem and the temple is going to be sacked. It's going to be laid waste. It's going to be ploughed as a field, he says, become like a forest. You see, God is going to allow his holy city to be destroyed because of the sins of not only the leadership, but the sins of the people in general. And as we come to chapter 4 now, we find that Micah now casts his eyes forward. He looks forward now to the last days. He looks forward to the last days and he looks forward to the restoration of the nation of Israel. He looks forward to the millennial reign of Christ. You see, as Micah is preaching to the people, the immediate future is grim. There's not much hope for the immediate future. God's judgment is coming. It's in a sense too late for the people, too late for them to avoid Assyria, to avoid Babylon. As he's preaching, the immediate future is grim. The, the nation of Assyria is on the border of the northern kingdom. It's about to overrun the northern kingdom and take them away and the northern kingdom become no more. As we saw earlier on in the book of Micah, the, the Assyrian army will come all the way down into the southern kingdom as well and they'll knock on uh, the gates of Jerusalem basically. So they're going to ravage the southern kingdom as well. And this is all about to happen. This is the immediate future that's just before Micah and the people as he is preaching to them. 
And so the future is grim. And so Mikey here gives them some encouragement, if you like. Verse 4 is this really, this is an uplifting chapter where he focuses their attention on the last days. He encourages the people that God has blessings in store for them in the future. That there is a day coming when he will rule and reign on earth. And so this afternoon, I want us to consider Micah's description here of the millennial reign of Christ. Micah's description of the millennial reign of Christ and also the events leading up to it. So notice first, if you would, the description of the millennial kingdom. We find this in verses 1 through to 8. We already read down to verse 5, so I'm not going to read it again. We'll read each verse in a minute. But here's 1 through to 8. We find that Micah describes the millennial kingdom <clears throat> and he tells us five uh, things, if you like, about the millennial kingdom. The first of these is that Jerusalem will be at the center. Jerusalem and the Temple Mount will be at the center of this kingdom. Look in verse 1. It says, But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and the people and people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord shall go forth of Zion, go to the Lord from Jerusalem. As I said in the introduction, chapter 3 ends with Jerusalem and the temple being laid waste. Okay, they're plowed as a field, it says, and they've become heaps. And now we see a complete reversal of this. Okay, we see a complete reversal of uh, chapter 3, verse 12, chapter verses 1 and 2 is a complete reversal of it all as the the temple is rebuilt the the temple mount is restored and jerusalem is restored and it says that the house of the lord will be established in the top of the mountains the idea is that the temple mount will be rebuilt and it will be exalted to a place of prominence in this millennial reign okay even today there is no temple on the mount in jerusalem there is no temple but in the millennial kingdom, the temple will exist. The temple will be rebuilt. Jerusalem will be restored to its former glory. And it will be the center of the millennial kingdom. Verse 2 tells us that all nations will go up to Jerusalem. Verse 2, it says, And many nations shall come up and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. The nations are going to come to Jerusalem in that day. They're going to go up to the temple. They're going to go there to worship the Lord and to be taught by the Lord himself. Now, instead of fighting against the Lord, instead of fighting against his people, <clears throat> which is what the world wants to do today, Lord, the world seems hell-bent on destroying God's people. In that day, they will come up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. They will go up to Jerusalem to hear instruction from the Lord Jesus Christ himself, from God Himself. It says in verse 2 that he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his ways. So the nations will come up to Jerusalem, to the Temple Mount, to hear the Lord speak. He will teach them and they will walk in his ways. They will hear and they will obey the word of the Lord. You see, Christ will sit on his throne and all people of the earth will acknowledge him. In his position, all people of the earth will come to him. Jerusalem and the temple will be, if you like, the center of the government 
in that day and it will be the center of all spiritual things in that day in the millennial reign of Christ. Now what a glorious day that will be when all the earth acknowledges Christ as king. You know, think about that. All the, all the powers that exist today, they acknowledge Christ. They're going to go up to Jerusalem to hear him teach, to hear his words and to obey him. That's going to be a glorious time on earth, the millennial reign of Christ. All the world will worship and acknowledge him. We see secondly that it will be a reign of peace. It will be a reign of peace. Look in verse 3. It says, And he shall judge among many people, and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, uh, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Micah now goes on in verse 3 to describe that during Christ's reign, there will be peace. There will finally be peace on earth. You see, in the millennial reign of Christ, he will be the judge. Because it says at the start of verse 3, and he shall judge among many people. Christ will be the judge. He will be the final arbiter in all disputes. All matters will come before him and he will judge. He will discern between these things. Any dispute will come before Christ the King and he will settle the matter. You know, because he is God, it makes him the righteous judge and his decision will always be right. His decision will always be correct, will always be just. Even the, the most powerful nations will come and obey his word. It says that he will rebuke strong nations afar off. Even the most powerful nations in the world will acknowledge the Lord as king and acknowledge his authority. They will respect his, his authority, respect his decision. You see, the result of all this will be peace. Because Christ is the judge among the people, because he is rebuking even the strong nations afar off, the result will be peace. You see, there will be no need for war. There will be no need for war during his reign. There will finally be true and lasting peace on this earth. You know, Micah describes how they will take the instruments of war and they will, just, they will turn them into instruments of farming because they won't be needed. There won't be any need for any of these, these weapons that they have today, the weapons of mass destruction they've got. Mankind will not need any weapons. They won't need these things. They will turn them instead into instruments of farming. Because Christ's reign will be one of peace. At the end of the verse it says, Neither shall they learn war anymore. They won't even study the art of war anymore. There's no need for even you know, looking at past battles and how they do it and strategy. There's no need for any of that. Because war will not exist. It will be a time of peace. You know, men today can try all they want to broker peace among the nations, but that peace will always break down. That peace will never truly last. You see, the reality is until Christ is the one who brokers the peace, it won't last. Until he is judge, there will be no lasting peace. But beloved, that day is coming during the millennial reign. Christ will be the judge, and there will be peace on earth. Thirdly, here we see that it will be a reign of prosperity. It will be a reign of prosperity. Look in verse 4. 
It says, but they shall sit every man under the, his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts spoken it. Now this phrase here where it says, they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, this phrase was a proverbial expression used by the Jews. It was expression that spoke of prosperity and security, prosperity and peace. We see the same expression used in 1 Kings chapter 4. Let's just turn over there. First Kings chapter four and verse twenty-five. 1 Kings four verse twenty-five. It says, "And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon." Now, First Kings here is referring to the days of Solomon, and during his reign, the people had peace. They had a time of prosperity, if you like. It was a, a bit of a picture of what they get in the millennial kingdom. It was a great time for the nation of Israel. And we see this proverb used, this idea of they shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree. Every man under his vine and under his fig tree. You see, this was the desire of every Jew. It's what every Jew longs for. They long for a time when their borders are secure and when they can sit and partake of their vine and sit under their fig tree and not have to worry about anything. Have a time of prosperity. And that's what Mike is telling the people here. He's saying that day is coming. The day is coming when there will be prosperity on earth as Christ is king. It will be a time of economic stability. You see, the people are not going to have to worry and stress about the next crop coming in. They're not going to have to worry and stress about providing for their families. It's going to be a time of great abundance. There will be no poverty. No one's going to be poor in that day. Every man will have his vine. Every man will have his fig tree. Because Christ will be king. You know, with that abundance, with that prosperity, will come a time of security, a time of peace, as we already saw. They won't have to worry about their enemies coming and ravaging their crops and stealing what they have, destroying their goods. Their borders will be secure. They won't have to live in fear. It will be a time of prosperity and security. In verse 5, the prophet goes on to exhort the people in light of these promises, this promise of peace, this promise of prosperity. He exhorts them to seek God and God alone. It says in verse 5, For all people will walk, everyone, in the name of his God, and we, or but we, will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Now this verse has caused some confusion as it seems to be saying that the heathen nations will walk in the name of their gods in the millennial kingdom. I mean, that's the time we're talking about. And so if, if it is talking about that time, that's what it's saying, that, that the, um, the heathen nations will still worship their gods in the millennial kingdom. But, you know, this simply isn't true. Now, as we've already seen in verse 2, all nations will come up to worship the Lord at Jerusalem. All nations will acknowledge Him as King, as God. They will bow the knee before Him. And so it's not saying that in the millennial kingdom they will have their gods and we will serve God. Okay, talking to the Jews. Rather, it seems best to understand verse 5 as a contrast, if you like. It's a contrast between the 
the heathen nations transient worship or short-lived worship of their idols and the worship of the one true God which is forever okay and that's why I read the word but in the middle there for all people will walk everyone in the name of his God but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever okay the word and there can be translated as but and it makes more sense to translate it as but and so it seems like it is this, this contrast. The heathen nations, they have their gods here and now. They're serving their gods. But only when we serve God, the one true God, will there be peace and prosperity on earth. Only when we're serving and worshipping Him. And so really this is a call to the people by Micah, a call to the people to determine to be faithful, looking forward to the blessings that God has promised, looking forward to the millennial kingdom. And serve him and him alone. We see fourthly here that in the millennial kingdom, the remnant will be gathered. The remnant will be gathered. Look in verse 6. It says, In that day, saith the Lord, will I assemble her that halteth, and I will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted. And I will make her that halteth a remnant, and her that was cast off for a strong nation. And the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth, even forever. <clears throat> We've seen that in the millennial kingdom, Jerusalem will be the center. We've seen that it will be a reign of peace and prosperity. And now fourthly here, we're told that in the millennial kingdom, the nation of Israel will be restored. The remnant will be gathered. You know, Micah tells us here that before Israel can enjoy the blessings of of the millennial kingdom, the millennial reign. Before they can enjoy those blessings, they first must be gathered back from their worldwide dispersion into the land once again. The land that God had given them. Look, look in verse 6, it says, In that day, saith the Lord, will I assemble her that halteth, and will I gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted. He's talking about gathering his people back together again. You see, after Titus sacked Jerusalem in AD 70, the Jews were dispersed throughout the world. They had no homework, homeland. They had nowhere to call home anymore. And so Micah here is prophesying of the, of the Jews coming back into the land, being gathered back to their homeland. He talks about this in verse 6 and 7, as we just read. He talks about the Lord assembling his flock. Okay, he says he will gather the lame, the driven ones, the afflicted ones, and he'll gather them back into the land. And the picture is of a, a scattered flock of sheep being brought back into the fold. And this is the figure that he used uh, earlier on in Micah chapter 2. Just go back to Micah chapter 2. Micah chapter 2 and verse 12. It says, I will surely assemble, O Jacob, all of thee, I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together as the sheep of Bozrah. As the flock in the midst of their fold, they shall make great noise by reason of the multitude of men. The breakeries come up before them. They have broken up and have passed through the gate and are gone out by it. And the king shall pass, up, pass before them and the Lord on the head of them. And so Micah has used this picture before of Israel like a flock of sheep that's gone astray. A flock of sheep that's injured, wounded, and lame, and being brought back together, being gathered back. And the Lord will indeed gather his flock. That's what he says here in verse 7. He says, I'll make her that was halted a remnant, 
and her that was cast, uh, cast far off a strong nation. The Lord will gather his dispersed nation and he will make them a strong nation once again. That's what Micah here is prophesying of. And beloved, we've already seen a partial fulfillment of these words, haven't we? Because Israel is indeed back in the land since 1948. They are a nation once again. They have been gathered. You know, the, the remnant, the, the lame, the driven, the afflicted, they have been gathered back to the land. So we've seen a partial fulfillment of this. Now, Micah long ago said that this would happen. Micah said in this passage they would be dispersed and they would be gathered back and made a strong nation once again. And he said that this would happen leading up to the return of Christ, leading up to the millennial reign. Beloved, they are already in the land. They are in the land waiting for his return, waiting for Christ to come, waiting for him to set up his kingdom here on earth. And when he does, these words will be completely fulfilled because Israel in that day will possess all the land that God promised them. They will finally be the nation that God wanted them to be. They'll have the, the land from Egypt right through the river Euphrates as God promised them. The land will be theirs and Christ will sit on the throne. The nation of Israel will be restored. The fifth thing we see here about the millennial kingdom is that the throne of David will be restored. The throne of David restored. At the end of verse 7 it says, And the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion, from henceforth even forever. And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion. The kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Now verse 7 and 8 here, or the second half of verse 7, Micah tells us that the throne of David will be restored. Micah here addresses in verse 8 at the start, he says, And thou, O tower of the flock, and stronghold of the daughter of Zion. The tower of the flock here is referring to Jerusalem. Okay? The flock is the nation of Israel. The tower is Jerusalem. The tower is the place from which the king would care and protect for his flock. And so it's Jerusalem. And the same is true when it says the stronghold. The stronghold here is referring to Jerusalem. And so what Micah is saying here is that Jerusalem will be restored to its place of dominion. Okay, it says in verse 8, And thou, O tower of the flock, and stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion. Micah says that to Jerusalem be restored the first dominion. The idea is that the dominion that it formerly exercised will once again come back to Jerusalem. The throne will be restored. You see, during David's reign, Jerusalem was the capital city. And during David's reign, he had been a great shepherd king. He had cared for the flock, cared for God's people from Jerusalem. And sadly, following Solomon's reign, the kingdom was divided, wasn't it? It was split in two. The former dominion was lost. Not only that, but then with Zedekiah being taken into captivity, David's sons no longer sat on the throne. You see, now in the millennial kingdom, with the reign of Christ, the former dominion will be restored. Messiah, the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, will sit on the throne of David once more. He will reign from Jerusalem and care for his flock as the great shepherd king. 
in that day. The throne of David will be restored. And so having described to us here in these first eight verses the millennial kingdom and all that is to come, he describes how Jerusalem will be at the center. The temple is restored. It's a time of peace and prosperity. The nation of Israel is restored. The throne is restored. It's a wonderful, glorious picture. And having told us all this, Micah now in the last part of the chapter proceeds to tell us of two events that occur before the millennial reign. Two events that occur before the millennial reign. Look at the first one there in verse 9 and 10. Verse 9, it says, Now why dost thou cry out aloud? Is there no king in thee? Is thy countenance per- counsellor perished? For pangs have taken thee as a woman in travail. Be in pain and labour to bring forth, O daughter of Zion. Like a woman in travail, for now shalt thou go forth out of the city. And thou shalt dwell in the field, and thou shalt go even to Babylon. There shalt thou be delivered. There the Lord shall redeem thee from the hand of thy enemies. The first event that he says is going to occur is the Babylonian captivity. You see, Micah now turns their attention back from the glorious future to the events that are about to happen, the immediate future. He says this is what's going to happen in the future, the millennial reign. But before we get there, some other things are going to happen. Some other things are going to happen, first of all. And the first of these is the the captivity in Babylon. And so he uses here the imagery of a woman in travail, a woman in labor. And Micah predicts that the daughter of Zion will be in great sorrow, be in great distress, before finally being delivered, before the glad deliverance. And the details of Israel's calamity are vividly brought out for us. Micah describes how the nation, uh, sorry, how the city will be captured, and the people will be forced outside the city, and then eventually carried off to Babylon itself. Look in verse ten. It says, "Being pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. For now shalt thou go forth out of the city, and thou shalt dwell in the field, and thou shalt go even to Babylon." There shall they be delivered. There the Lord shall redeem thee from the hand of thine enemies. And Micah, so Micah here describes in verse 10 the captivity. He describes perfectly how the Babylonian army will come up to Jerusalem, lay siege to Jerusalem. They'll capture the city, force the people out, and then they'll take the people back to Babylon as captives, as slaves. And so Babylon, uh, sorry, and Babylon indeed fulfilled this, didn't it? Babylon came up and fulfilled Micah's words perfectly. Babylon came up under Nebuchadnezzar, as we know, in around 586 BC, and they carried off the children of Israel, carried off the southern kingdom into captivity. Beloved, Micah makes this prophecy at least 100 years before that occurs, probably more. He's dead before Babylon comes. He's dead before these events. Micah prophesies perfectly what's going to happen. He says this is going to occur. But you know, Micah wasn't finished because in the same verse he goes on to foretell that not only will they be taken into captivity, but they will also come back from that captivity. That's the end of verse 10 where it says, There shalt thou be delivered. There the Lord shall redeem thee from the hand of thine enemies. See, Micah tells them that yes, they're going to go to Babylon. Yes, you're going to go into captivity. But after this, after God's timing, God is going to deliver you. God is going to redeem Israel and bring them back from 
Babylon. You know, once again, we've seen these words perfectly fulfilled, haven't we? You know, Micah prophesied they'd go into Babylon. That happened under Nebuchadnezzar 586. He prophesied that they'd be delivered, they'd be redeemed. And it happened under Cyrus. Cyrus was on the throne and, and God redeemed his people from captivity. He brought them back into the land. And so this first event that Micah describes is already past. It was true for Israel when he spoke, but it's past now. It has happened. Israel has been in captivity and they've come back from that captivity. The second event is still yet future. The second event is the Battle of Armageddon. Look in verse 11. It says, Now also many nations are gathered against thee that say, Let her be defiled, and let her eye look upon Zion. And they do not the thoughts of the Lord, neither understand they his counsel. For he shall gather them as sheaves into the floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make thine horn iron, and I will make thy hooves brass. And thou shalt beat in pieces many people, and I will consecrate their gain unto the Lord, and their substance unto the Lord of the whole earth. With verse 11 here, Micah now once again jumps forward again. And so he's jumped back to just the immediate future with Babylon. Now he jumps forward again to the last days. And in particular here, he focuses on the last great battle, the last great attack against the nation of Israel. Now in verse 2, we saw that in the millennial kingdom, all the nations will come up to Jerusalem to hear the word of the Lord. They'll come up to worship God. But before that day comes, there will be a day when the nations of the world will converge against Israel. When they'll come together against Israel in one final battle. Verse 11 describes for us how many nations will be gathered against Israel and they'll come with the purpose of defiling Israel. Look at verse 11. It says, Now also many nations are gathered against thee that say, Let her be defiled and let her eye look upon Zion. You know, their hatred against God and their hatred against his people will bring them to this point. It will bring the nations to this point where they gather together in one final assault against the Lord and against his people. You know, little do they realize that they are simply sheaves assembled in the threshing floor. It says down in verse 12, it says, But they know not the thoughts of the Lord, neither understand they his counsel, for he shall gather them as the sheaves into the floor. You know, they're going to come, believe he come to destroy Israel, to finally put an end to this thing that's a thorn in their flesh. You know, little do they know they've come to be destroyed by God. God is gathering them together in the threshing floor. Verse 13 describes how God will aid Israel to thresh their enemies in that day. And they will dedicate the spoils to the Lord. Verse, 11, verse 13, sorry, it says, Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make thine horn iron, and I will make thy hooves brass. And they shall beat in pieces many people. I'm sorry, and thou shalt beat in pieces many people. And I will consecrate their gain unto the Lord and their substance unto the Lord of the whole earth. Now this battle that's, that's described here is so often referred to as the Battle of Armageddon. We see it described in other passages of Scripture. We see it in Revelation chapter 19. We see it in Joel chapter 3. We see it in other passages. It's the same battle each time. It talks about this gathering of the nations against Israel. A gathering together and the Lord will thresh them. The Lord will deal with 
with these nations. This will be the one last final great battle. And when this battle is over, Israel will recognize Christ their king and the millennial kingdom will begin. The millennial reign will begin after this battle. As I said, the first of these two events that Micah describes is already past tense for us. We've seen Babylon take Israel. We've seen Israel come back. The second will not occur until the end of the tribulation. But what a glorious day that will be when Christ sets up his kingdom here on earth. Beloved, in the millennial reign, Jerusalem will be at the center as Christ rules and reigns as king. The nation of Israel will be restored. The throne of David will be restored. And there will be peace and prosperity. And you know, the wonderful thing about all this is that we will be there to witness it all. You know, there is a day coming, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where Christ will come back and take us home to glory. The rapture will take us home to be with him. And when the Lord comes and takes us home to be with him, we'll spend seven years with the Lord as there's seven years of tribulation here on earth. And we'll spend seven years with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But at the end of that time, at the end of that seven years, when Christ comes back at this battle and he sets up his kingdom here on earth, beloved, you and I will come back with him and we will reign with him for a thousand years. Just turn to Revelation chapter 20 as we close. Revelation 20. Verse 6, a verse I'm sure we know well. Revelation 20 and verse 6, it says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Beloved, we are going to be there. We're going to witness all this unfold, all this take place on earth. What a day that's going to be when Christ is king. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, we thank you for passages like this in the Old Testament, Lord, where we see clearly a prophecy concerning the day that is coming, when you will indeed set up your kingdom here on earth. And Lord, there are events that are to take place before then, and we know that some of those events have already occurred, Lord. And Lord, we know that it's fast approaching when you'll come back for your church, for your bride. And Lord, we look forward to that day with great expectation. Look forward to the day when we'll come back and reign with you for a thousand years. But may we remember these things. May we um, remember these great truths, Lord, and give all thanks and glory unto you, we pray in Jesus' name.